And welcome to Council 4 Unplugged. I'm Larry Dorman of Council 4. This is our regular union podcast, and I have two special guests today who are employees of the state of Connecticut. Satonia Atonba-Payne is with the judicial branch. She is a court monitor. And also with us is John Linefsky, who is also a court monitor. Yes. Uh, and Satonia, thank you, and John, thank you both for being with us. Um, and I'll start with you, Satonia. Tell me a little bit about what you do for the public and what you do in the courthouse, where you work, and, and what your responsibilities are. I work at the New Haven Superior Court. And first of all, before I get into our responsibilities, let me talk about what the first impression is for people who walk into the courthouse. The courthouse is not a happy place to be. So first of all, I'm cognizant of the fact that we have to be the face of the judicial branch. So upon contact with litigants, knowing that they are anxious and there are some fears, our job are always to assuage those fears and anxiety by being professional, being as friendly as we can be under the circumstances, and answering any questions they may have. Now I'll get into our responsibilities. We are the keepers of the record. We record proceedings in the courtroom digitally, and upon request, produce transcripts. And we also go beyond that, in that we try to level the playing field. And what I mean by that is that not all lawyers come in the same. Some lawyers or law firms, I should say, come in with their own paralegals and such, while others do not. So while they don't have those lawyers who do not have um, paralegals and secretaries in, in the courtroom while proceedings are going on, we act as sort of that secretary so that if they need something played back, we play it back for them. So we aid them in any way we can. Um, and we also do pro bono work for those who are, can't afford transcripts. So John, I mean, it's safe to say that you, you feel, um, and you are in fact, um, vital cogs in the uh, judicial process. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the public comes to the judicial system for redress of their grievances or whatever they have, whatever their issue is, and they rely on the record. And if they get an inaccurate record for, for whatever reason, uh, the court system can't serve them. Uh, so, Tonya, you also, and, and John, you can chime in too, but this is not like a nine-to-five job, and maybe you could explain a little bit about that. It is definitely not a nine five job. Contrary to what the Yankee Institute seems to believe, it is far from it. It's not nine to five. We're not working on state time all the time on, 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 on transcripts. We have to go home to do the transcripts or stay at work late to produce transcripts. Our job is constantly trying to work within the time constraints litigants have or attorneys have. Always, we start with one transcript, we stop that to go on to another one because we know that perhaps there's an issue of custody, you know, at play 
And so we're constantly prioritizing work and working after hours. There's no way you can do this job. And John adding, there's no way you can do this job without working extra hours on the weekends. Getting rich by doing transcripts. Period. Period. And yet, interestingly, groups um, such as the uh, Yankee Institute, uh, a Connecticut Business and Industry Association, there's a, there's a long group of people in this state um, and, and in this country who constantly call for the privatization of uh, vital public services. And uh, I, I think outsourcing is dangerous on the face of it, Setonia, but it certainly seems to me, and we've, we've fought to protect um, court monitors and court reporters job seems to me that outsourcing um, such sensitive uh, work is is uh, is dangerous it is definitely very dangerous our our tasks are very important to the judicial functioning if it's vital to due process of litigants we produce transcripts like I said for litigants expeditiously. We are always trying to work with litigants to get the transcripts to them. Not only that, we are held to a very high standard when it comes to our transcripts. There is a way to correct transcripts that are not, and that are incorrect, inaccurate. Outsourcing will destroy quality of the work as in Massachusetts, that has been outsourced. And I know for a fact that attorneys have trouble getting transcripts, litigants have problem getting transcripts there. The quality is not the same. How many years have you um, served the, the public as a court monitor? Sitonia? Over 20 years. And John, how long have you been 16 at it? 16 years. It's a long time. A very long time. Um, you enjoy your work? I do tremendously. and. Um, let me just add to something that Satonia said. You know, you get what you pay for. When you outsource a court monitor's work, if that's going to happen, you know the state's going to uh, pay these folks, these outside transcribers, a lot less. And they're going to, they're going to, you know, you're going to get what you, you pay for. These folks are going to rely on volume, and they're not going to give the attention to the transcripts that we give to the transcripts. I know personally, that I go over a transcript at least two times. It's not just a matter of typing something and banging it out. I listen to it very carefully and I make sure every word is absolutely perfect. And you're not going to get that with a, with a group of people sitting in carols in somebody's private home typing these things out just to get them off the desk and get paid for. Excellent point. And, and Setonia, um, 20 years in, in the system, um, working to help the judicial system. Uh, what has the union meant to you? The union means that we've been able to keep our jobs. The union has helped to maintain the wages that we should be earning based on what we do every day. And we go beyond what the paper says our responsibilities as every single day. We deal with the public. If we didn't enjoy people, we wouldn't be in this business. 
And uh, John and uh, Satonia are both uh, members of AFSME Local 749, I should add, uh, which represents 1,500 or so, 1,600, I think, uh, workers throughout the judicial branch and uh, Division of, of Criminal Justice and the Public Defender's Office. And John, I think um, union membership has been uh, something that's important to you in terms of your job and your life. Very uh, important. If not for the union, if not for my union standing behind my behind me, uh, I'd be working for minimum wage with no health benefits and no pension benefits. If you've seen some of the bills that have come out from Connecticut trying to destroy us, literally take our benefits away, you know we'd we'd be working for nothing. Well, you know when you when you do this to state employees, uh, cut their wages and cut their benefits, you're getting less um, income tax, obviously, mm -hmm. from us. Uh, we can't buy as many things, so you get less sales tax. And who knows, maybe we ourselves would have to avail ourselves of some sort of public assistance at some point, right. particularly those with families. It's a, it's, a, it's a slippery slope that you don't want to go down. Making us poorer isn't going to make anybody else richer. That is beautifully and, and powerfully said. Uh, John, and, and I'll also ask Satoni something similar. Um, there is a Supreme Court case. We expect a decision any day now. Uh, the case, as I mentioned before, is Janus versus AFSCME Council 31 out in Illinois. It will nationalize what I call right to work for less. There are a lot of uh, powerful, wealthy, dark money forces that actually helped get this case in front of the Supreme Court because they've been trying for many years. And among those groups uh, is the, the infamous Koch brothers, David and Charles Koch. Well, I, you know, uh, when you're running a business, there are two components to it, labor and capital. And the Koch brothers, I believe, their motive is very simple. They're lowering their cost of labor by, by crushing unions, by destroying the middle class. They're just pocketing the difference. The money goes into their pockets rather than everybody else's pockets. So, Tony, what do you feel about this Supreme Court case? Because um, certainly all the, the research and, and data I've seen shows that states that have enacted right to work, and then there are 29 of them, mm -hmm. um, wages, benefits, living standards are worse for everybody, not just union members. But I'm, I'm curious about um, knowing how hard you fought um, for dignity on the job, uh, what the stakes of this case are, and, and what it means to you personally, and, and how you intend to fight back. These are dangerous times with this case, but the intent is to destroy the unions who fight for our rights day in, day out. A right to live as a human being. I come from another country. Some countries do not have, you don't have the right to have unions. You d the, the employer determines how much you get paid. In my country, workers may not get paid for months because of corruption. So the, you, this, this, this case, even though it will, if it comes down the other way, the way we don't want it to come down, and we are right, right to work state, it doesn't mean that they're going to crush the union. Not at all. Not our resolve not our collective resolve. We will fight. We will continue to unionize for the betterment of the citizens of our state. The working poor now 
it is it is just one thing the coke breakers are, might win but they will not crush us the way they think they're going to crush us so the intent is to speak to our members to ensure them that the work is not done the work is even going to get harder as the years come by and we cannot stand down yes and uh, let me just say that uh, personally as long as I'm working as a court monitor I'm going to continue to uphold the high standards that I give to my work and to my transcripts and this ultimately benefits the public and we're going to keep on doing that as long as we possibly can. John Lenefsky, court monitor, Satonia Payne, uh, court monitor, both proud members of AFSCME Local 749. I am uh, incredibly proud and, and pleased and honored to represent you as our union is. Thank you for being on the Council 4 Unplugged podcast. We're going to take a short break and be back with a little more. And this is Larry Dorman of Council 4. We're back with the final segment of Council 4 Unplugged. And with me, as always, our intrepid legislative and political advocate over at the legislature, Brian Anderson. Brian, thanks for being here. Pleasure, Larry. And let's hop right to it, Brian. The uh, There is a collective bargaining agreement in front of the state legislature, and uh, it was negotiated uh, for the graduate students at the University of Connecticut who recently organized a union. And you want to talk about what's happening with that contract? Because it's of interest. While we don't represent them, the uh, United Auto Workers does represent them doing a great job, and the workers are trying to get some justice and some dignity in their first collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, Larry, this is the first test of the new system that the legislature passed last year for uh, trying to pass state employee uh, either agreements with the state on a contract or arbitrated awards. Uh, the law used to allow the legislature to examine the contract or award and then decide to vote on it or decide to just let it pass in the law. Politic this was set up this way because politics is what it is. A lot of times legislators are afraid to vote on something, giving a public employee a pay raise because of the toxic atmosphere the corporate executives have created and their attack on public employees. And what happened is an award was struck between the grad students who are among the most underpaid workers uh, anywhere in America and the Yukon administration. The grad students on average make under $20,000 a year and uh, often wind up teaching the bulk of courses that are taught at most universities around the country. So what happened is yesterday, the award passed the House of Representatives, but it was a very narrow victory for the students. They were able to prevail 73 to 71 to pass this very uh, minimal uh, raise that I think amounts to about $8 a week, uh, actual increase in grad student pay. Uh, now it's got to go to the Senate after the House, and we right. expected it might have a very difficult time in the Senate. And um, hopefully uh, it will get through the Senate. We're going to certainly uh, be supporting the UAW grad students. But w one of the interesting things is one of the legislators who spoke against the contract happens to be a Republican um, uh, 
I, I wanted you to share with our audience some of the comments uh, that were made in opposition. I found them offensive, and this particular one, I think, needs to be shared with our audience. Yeah, Larry, it's, it was rather stunning. Representative Fred Wilms uh, from from the wealthy end of Norwalk and one of the adjoining wealthy suburbs spoke against the contract, basically making the point that the graduate students are overpaid. Now, Mr. Wilms is a senior vice president for Webster Bank. Um, people in that job status are usually grossly overpaid by standard. Their pay has skyrocketed over the past uh, couple of decades. Um, back in the 70s, the average corporate executive made about 20, 25 times what line workers make. Now folks in that kind of position make 300, 400 times what their line workers make. So it's just stunning to watch Representative Wilms, who is a very wealthy uh, corporate executive, um, land-based an agreement that gave grad students about an increase of $8 a week on their less than $20,000 a year pay. And I, I just think those are the bizarre times uh, that we're living in. Yep. I think it's a, a sad example of the, the cognitive dissonance that uh, exists over um, in a divided legislature where too many people are pushing against the interests of, uh, of average everyday working people. Um, let's move on, Brian, to another subject uh, involving uh, 11 uh, we're nursing home workers represented by SEIU District 1199. And perhaps you could fill our listeners in on that and, and again, why this is pertinent to the, to the legislature. Yeah, Larry, uh, these nursing home workers represented by 1199 took a strike authorization vote earlier this week. These workers do God's work. They're in nursing homes uh, helping people who are in, in desperate mental, physical straits. They uh, have a high rate of, of injury because they have to lift patients, they have to clean patients. And their pay ranges from about 11 to $14 an hour. They have minimal benefits. And they haven't had a pay raise in 12 years. Uh, it's wow. outrageous with the cost of inflation for health care and the general cost of living. The workers in Connecticut could go 12 years without any kind of pay increase. And the legislature's involvement, of course, in this uh, is the fact that um, these are money comes through Medicaid reimbursement. It, exactly. It's it, it, most of these nursing homes run on federal and state dollars, and uh, when, when you have a situation like we have here, where we're the wealthiest state in the country, yet rich corporate executives have an, a gigantic hold on state government, and are able to just suppress wages because the more they suppress wages, the more they can take the wealth that's created in our society keep it for themselves. That's why we're suffering this vast inequality. But this is one of the symptoms that um, you have this, this array of nursing home workers who provide really vital work, who can't make ends meet and often have to apply to the state for welfare. Mm -hmm. And the last issue I want to talk to you before we run out of time, Brian, uh, when we talk about the corporate conservative uh, control that seems to exist at the legislature and, and works against the interests of, of, of everyday working people. Um, the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities uh, has come out strong and spent uh, quite a bit of money in uh, newspaper and online advertising um, pushing against a bill 
uh, believe it or not, pushing against a bill that would actually improve um, mental health treatment for police officers and firefighters and also improve uh, suicide prevention training. And I do want to emphasize here that our union, AFSCME Council 4, represents around 2,000 um, municipal police officers. We're proud to represent them. And it's just stunning to me that, that again, this, these kind of corporate conservative types are trying to defeat a bill um, that would improve the health and well-being of our emergency responders. Yeah, Larry, it's hard to believe, but there is a suicide prevention bill that costs so minimal money. It's almost, I think, fair to say it's it's a no-cost bill. And what the bill would do is, like you said, try to prevent suicide among police officers, which is quite high in Connecticut. Um, an officer committed suicide uh, earlier in the month. Um, we, we've been running about one a month, if I understand it correctly, this year. Uh, the, there's a federal government study that shows that police officers die about 15 years earlier than the general public from stress-related uh, illnesses. One of these is uh, suiciding. And what this bill would say is that right now, if an officer self-admits to an inpatient program, he or she loses their service firearm for six months. This was part of the Newtown law. It was an accident. Uh, we're trying to correct that accident and basically put in a law that an officer cannot lose their job for self-admitting to mental health treatment and would have some ability to get their gun back so as not to lose their job because right now the fear of that drives officers away from getting the treatment they need. And uh, I, I'm just stunned that the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities has opposed this, that um, it, it is such a common sense bill. Uh, it, it, basically little or no cost would be opposed by these folks. Uh, that bill, by the way, it's Senate Bill 278. And if you go to our Council 4 website at council4.org, www.council4.org, you'll see a link to take action. Um, Brian, unfortunately, we are out of time. So I want to thank you for being here and for fighting the fight for our members and for all workers. Thanks, Larry. And I'm Larry Dorman of Council 4. This concludes our edition of Council 4 Unplugged. And don't forget, check out our website at council4.org. We're on Facebook at Council 4 AFSCME. That's A-F-S-C-M-E. And also on Twitter at AFSCME CT4. And until the next time, be well, be safe, and we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot.